Uh, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, uh, as we look at this passage of Scripture, um, your work, a little quote for you, your work is an expression of the image of God in you. And it's worth thinking about how your work reflects his character. This is a quote I'm reading by an unknown author. Work as simple as cleaning out a closet reflects the God who makes order out of chaos. Holding a stop sign for children to cross the road creates an environment of safety that reflects the God who protects. The person who flips burgers is providing food, which is something that God does. A father or mother who nurtures a child reflects the love, patience, and perseverance of God. The CEO of a large business hold things, holds things together and moves things forward. This, too, is a reflection of God's work. In every area of our lives, as we had discussed this morning, beginning with Adam and Eve here in Genesis chapter 2, uh, verse 15, would you follow along with me? Uh, Genesis chapter 2, uh, verse 15. In this verse it says, And the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. From the very inception of humanity, God has given man work to do. Now we understand that God, there is a time of rest on the seventh day, but, and, and God gives us time for rest. But our obligation is to understand to whom am I working for in this life? And Adam and Eve, God gave them work there in the garden when everything was perfect. We had discussed, and I'll talk about it a little bit more, on some of the obligations of work and some of the misconceptions that are often there in Christian realms about work. The thought for many uh, professing believers that all one needs to do is be faithful to their job and their family, as well as have an abiding relationship with God. But does God expect more from us? Is there any attachments that I need to make uh, in this endeavor to be pleasing and work for the Lord? Tonight, in continuing our study from this morning, will you seek God's demand for work and get employed in His workforce? And I'm not saying that everyone has to be in the ministry as myself, but I am saying that when we're working, whether you're a stay-at-home mother or whether you're working out in the, the public sector, uh, wherever you may be working, that everything that we do, we're working for the Lord. Work is a requirement for life and eternity. We must stop living of working for ourselves and instead choose God as our boss and let Him decide our wages. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I come before Your throne. Father, I pray that the truths that are presented this evening, whether we finish this message or not, God, I pray for the accuracy and the clarity of the words spoken. God, take control of my thoughts and let the words that proceed forth be pleasing to Thee. Lord Jesus, I love You. Jesus, I thank You for being our Savior. And Lord, I just ask, 
for whomever may be watching, Lord, that does not know you, that first of all they would accept Jesus Christ, become a child of yours, and learn what it is to live life working with you alongside of us and helping us and guiding us. And Father, for those of us as believers, may our work that we do wherever it may be, or in the public sector, at home, or whatever, Father, I pray that rather than looking at circumstances, Father, we will look to you and seek to please you with everything we do. Father, I love you and thank you. Thank you for the cross and the resurrection, God, that gives us freedom from the penalty and the power of sin. In the precious name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. I had spoken about this morning the calling and the fact that God gave all of us responsibility to work. From the beginning of creation, God gave work for man to do. Genesis 2.5, I read that this morning. And every plant of the field before it was in the earth, and every herb of the field before it grew, for the Lord had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was not a man to till the ground. God says, listen, this earth needs to be worked. Verse 15, as we read, God gave man the responsibility to work on this earth prior to any uh, beginnings of sin, prior to the inception, the introduction of sin. We find in sin, as we looked in Genesis uh, chapter 3, verses 17 through 19, as we, re- as we sang in the joy to the world about thorns and thistles and verse Genesis 3.18 as it discusses the world. Uh, it's going to be more difficult in the sweat of thy face, verse 19. We had talked about what does it mean to be uh, very initially, I guess very briefly, what it means to be rich towards God. There is this idea that we will, uh, will only have to work during this period of time where sin is in the world. But if you read the Bible, there's Work before, there's work in sin, and there's work out of sin in eternity. However, there's an eternal peace in the presence of God. I'm not saying it's like this, oh, you know, you kind of think, oh, work all the time, work, 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 ah, how tiring. What kind of God is that? No, my friend, there's a rest in our heart and in our spirit uh, when we, what, whom we're trying to please and so oftentimes, we try to please our bosses, we try uh, employers or whomever we're working for, we're seeking to please them with the intent of getting the wages that they've promised to us. But you know what? God's idea for work is so much further and so much uh, beyond that very idea. So we found God giving work in the Garden of Eden. There is a commitment, and as we had mentioned, and I'll pick up where we left off, in Proverbs 16.3. I'd like you to look with me here in Proverbs 16.3. The element and, and the labor of work ultimately is an act of your will. In Proverbs 16.3. Now I understand that many people of this life are working for, especially here in North America or in uh, first world nations, they're many times working for the niceties and comforts of life. In some countries uh, that may be more impoverished, they're just working to get ends meet to put a little bit of food on the table. But whatever is the condition of an individual, 
We have to understand, wherever your financial position is, in Proverbs 16, 3 tells us, Commit thy works unto the Lord, and thy thought shall be established. Who you are working for is really the first piece of the puzzle in determining your employment or unemployment in God's service. Your work begins in the mind. Work is absolutely necessary, but where am I to work? Now, we did under, I did read this this morning. We understand that there must be a career or some sort of job to provide for your home. 1 Timothy 5.8 tells us this. But if any provide not for his own, especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. So you have personal and family obligations. God says you don't provide for your family, you're worse than an infidel. That's a horrible position, just by being lazy. Now, how you do this is certainly culturally influenced. Where you work, what you do for work. There's certain cultural uh, implications on this. But you are to be uh, provide for one's family. It's not the government's job to provide for a family, it's your job. There is in Matthew 7, 11. Now I understand there might be some conditions on that based upon a person's, uh, maybe their, their uh, inability with certain handicaps or such, but by and large, it's the responsibility of each and every parent to provide for their family. There is a providing for the children. If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, Jesus says, how much more shall your father which is heaven give good things to them that ask him? Parents laying up good things for their children, 2 Corinthians 12, 14. There's a care when parents get older and, and their health is waning. There's a, a calling for children to care for their parents, 1 Timothy 5, 4. There's also, we find that 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 33 and 34, it discusses marriage. Marriage is certainly a tremendous blessing, as Proverbs says. He who findeth a wife findeth a good thing, and obtaineth favor of the Lord, as Proverbs uh, discusses, Proverbs 18. But we understand in 1 Corinthians 7, He that is married careth for the things that are of the world, how he may please his wife. And, and then it also talks about a wife, how she may please her husband. So there, marriage is definitely a blessing, but, it, but it's not the ultimate aim. I'm not just seeking to please my wife, and she's not just seeking to please me. Now, just keep that thought there in the queue, okay? There's secular obligations to work. Look with me at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5. What I'm doing is just taking the sectors of society with which we have obligations. But in all of these obligations, it's easy to make whatever our primary, our, our immediate commitment is to work, to family, uh, as our ultimate and end goal. And I want to challenge that thought this evening because I, as Scripture manifests and it attests to us that that is not to be our end goal. And, and, and it's noble in, in regards to its very virtue of caring for your family. We need to. But whether you are a believer or not a believer, you are to provide for your family. So there's no real, eternal, necessarily, significance other than the fact, yes, you've provided and, and you've shown some ability of discipline. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5, Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling in singleness of your heart, 
as unto the Lord, as unto Christ, excuse me. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. With goodwill, doing service. Here's the key. As to the Lord and not to men. And we also find, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. My labor and my toils and my whatever I'm doing in life, whether I'm cleaning the closet, whether I'm working and laboring here, wherever you may work, God tells us you're doing it as to him, not to men. And that will change our mindset because I can have a less than favorable employer and yet I can still maintain the right mindset because my mindset is not focused on the countenance and the attitude of my employer. Look with me at Colossians chapter 3, verse 23. And whatsoever you do, would that include your work? I think that's a pretty all-encompassing statement there. Whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. He's talking here, the Apostle Paul, by inspiration of the Spirit of God, to the church of Colossae. Church of Colossae, he says, whatever you do. Now, and my labors... There is to be a hearty and intense work ethic for the Lord. It is not just for my employer. Your, adi- your employer's attitude and the environment you work, on, you work in is not to diminish how you work and to, what you are, and to whom you are working for. Because you're not working for yourself. Now we understand, is it Exodus 23, uh, and even in the beginning of Genesis chapter 2, when God talks about this, the, you know, the seventh day he sanctified it. God has given us, and we now celebrate it on Sundays as the Lord's Day. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28, the honest work that we do, it allows us to assist others. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands, the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. So my hard, honest labor for God allows me, as God gives the ability and the opportunity to assist others. I want you to look with me somewhere else when we are working for the Lord. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 11. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 11. Well, let's look at verse 9. But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. 
And indeed ye do it toward all the brethren which are in all Macedonia. But we seech you, brethren, that ye increase more and more, and that ye study to be quiet, and to do your own business, and to work with your own hands as we commanded you. Verse 12. Why? That ye may walk honestly toward them that are without, and that ye may have lack of nothing. He's saying you're walking honestly before unbelievers. Them that are without, right? Those that are without the church. Outside of the church. You know, obviously speaking here there in Thessalonica, but he's saying those that are without, that are not a part of the church, he's saying, listen, you walk honestly. You're doing it for the Lord. We understand our home, we understand our work obligations, but the question is, does God require more of us? Did Jesus Christ give any, give any instruction for work? Sometimes you might be thinking the three and a half year ministry of Jesus Christ, the disciples, sometimes maybe in your concept, maybe not, but in our concept we think three and a half years, the disciples followed Jesus everywhere they went. They didn't have to do much. They just watched Jesus preach and, and heal and, and they were just along for the ride. But that is not the truth. The question to ask is, did Jesus task his disciples, his apostles, with work to do during his three and a half year ministry? Let's see what scripture says on this. Let's look at Mark chapter 6. We'll go a little bit quicker through this uh, few sections of thought. But I'm just, I I wanted to, uh, this is again a very brief overview. It would be abridged, I guess, if you would. Uh, uh, but uh, uh, on this idea of work. Because when we think about this idea of work, God has things for us to do. Now there's times Jesus would go apart into the mountain to spend time with God and rest. We all need times of rest, okay? But all of my life, there's a labor, there's a focus of how I'm working and to whom I'm working for. Who you're working for will help or hurt your testimony for God. In Mark chapter 6, verse 7, And he called unto him the twelve, and began to send them forth by two and two, and gave them power over unclean spirits. And he commanded them that they should not take nothing for their journey, save a staff only, no script, no bread, no money in their purse, but be shod with sandals, and not put on two coats. And, uh, and he said unto them, What place soever ye enter into a house, there abide till ye depart from the place. But he began to send them forth by two and two. Look with me back at chapter 3 of Mark. And he ordained twelve that they should be with him, and that he might send them forth to preach. In the early days of Jesus Christ, his disciples, his apostles, were preaching the news that he had given to them. And we find that in many of the other Gospels, Matthew 10. And as ye go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven uh, is at hand. Luke chapter 9, he sent them to preach the kingdom of God. Now, after Christ's death, was the apostles' ministry over? Was there still work to do? Yes. You would find that even Jesus, 
uh, after his resurrection, during the 40-day period, before he ascended into heaven, he finds Peter out fishing. They come to the shore. Uh, he has their, eaten their fish. They're in a fish fry. And Jesus is speaking to Peter in John chapter 21, in verse 15. So when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. Jesus says, Peter, feed my lambs. Christ is speaking to the very apostle Peter who denied him three times. It is easy in our lives, we think, Lord, I messed up, I don't think you can use me. The same Peter who said, Lord, I'll die for you, cut off an ear of one of the soldiers, would in just moments be denying the very Lord that he said he would go to the death for. And yet Jesus says, Peter, feed my lambs. Failure does not remove us from our work for the Lord. Now there are certain sins that may remove from certain uh, positions of responsibility. If a pastor falls into immorality, embezzlement, he ruins his testimony for the Lord and disqualifies himself from the ministry. Now there's still work to do. I want you to look with me at Acts chapter 1. Here's some instructions that are given at the ascension as Jesus goes up into heaven. In Acts chapter 1, verse 4. Acts chapter 1, verse 4. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, Ye have heard of me. And so they begin, they all go together, there's 120 of them, they go up together, they begin to pray, and and, uh, they seek to replace Judas, who has gone and committed suicide. So there's instructions given at Christ's ascension. Now, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, work Was there work after Christ's resurrection and his Holy Spirit empowerment? To that, I say yes. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, make sure I didn't skip. There's a a key point here. I can't make sure I skip it. But in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he says, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of of the earth. Now, how do we do this command? Jesus gave to the, the first church, the church there in Jerusalem, and, and into all succeeding churches, Matthew 28, 19 and 20, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Now, The Bible lets us, so as we think upon this very truth with respect to Jesus Christ. So you have in the Old Testament the the, uh, Jewish people, you have Adam and Eve first in the garden. They were to work. Sin came, 
Work just got harder. That's all it meant. Thorns and thistles and, and bugs and you know, animals can attack you and all sorts of things. Noah, God repeats that same command. Multiply and replenish the earth. And then there's still trials and tribulations and struggles. You come into Israel and, and they would go into Egypt and they were working hard. Uh, and then they began to cry out to God and God sends them a deliverer. And, he, and, and we find about that in the, in the Old Testament. And, and then you find with the kings and, and Israel's continual decay into idolatry and a lot of what the most you know most of the new testament's about but as we think about this idea and again where who am i working for what is my labors and the efforts that i give from my body what is the intent of it matthew chapter 6 verse 24 So work is not inherently bad. Work is not inherently a product of sin. Now work gets harder as a result of sin, but work in and of itself is not a part of the fallen nature. It got harder with sin. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, No man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. So you're either serving in life for money and possessions and niceties and comforts, or you're doing it for God. Now we understand that Satan works in the lives of the lost. As it tells us in Ephesians 2, 2, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. The world is working for Satan. He's their employer. One employer, as we find in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. 2 Corinthians 4, 4. That's the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine in them. You're either having your employer as Satan and the, the wealth and material goods of earth or your boss is the Lord. And as I mentioned this morning, John 6, 27, Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. You are serving. You can work all your labors to store up some money in your bank account, to pay your bills, put food on the table. Luke 12, 21. So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. How are you rich towards God? Am I rich towards God if I have a lot of money in my bank account? No, the Bible tells us. You know what? And, and just because you're working, if you're there in Matthew chapter 6, let's look at Matthew chapter 7, there's a lot of people that say, I'm working for God. But you can't work for a God that you do not have a relationship. A lot of religion is working for God without knowing God. There's not that relationship. People are busy, 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 busy. But just because you're busy with the intent to please God, to somehow merit enough grace from Him, we're not seeking to merit His grace because we could never earn the grace. He's given it as a gift through Jesus Christ. He died on that cross for my sins and yours. You cannot be good enough and work hard enough to merit the grace of God. You can't do it. 
In Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. And then will I profess in them, I never knew you. Depart from ye that work iniquity. This would kind of go back to the story in similarity and application of Cain. Cain did sacrifices for God. But God was not pleased with Cain's sacrifice. It's like the Israelites or King Saul with the king with the Agagites, <clears throat> Malachites, excuse me, King Agag of the Amalekites. He kept the best and made a sacrifice unto God. And God says, I don't want it. You're rejected now for being king. You can do a lot to try to earn and merit the grace of God. You can work. But you're either doing it, but again, if you're trying to earn the grace of God by doing enough good works, you're still working for yourself. As a believer, I'm, I've accepted the gift of Jesus Christ. And I'm not trying to do it to somehow merit enough grace from God to earn my way into heaven because I can't earn it. I'll never be good enough. The Bible tells us, obviously, if you do one sin, you've broken the entire law and you're guilty. But in our work, I'm doing it not to earn or merit the grace of God. I'm doing it as a believer, having accepted the faith and having accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I'm doing it out of appreciation to please him. There are a lot of materials on the surface that look similar to gold. Centuries ago, a quote for you, people discovered that unscrupulous operators would take advantage of this trick, of this to trick people into paying for worthless metal. In order to determine whether gold was genuine or not, scientists devised an acid test. The item that is supposed to be gold is rubbed on a black stone, leaving a mark behind. Gold is what is called a noble metal, meaning that it is resistive to the corrosive effects of acid. If the mark is washed away by the acid, then the metal is not real gold. If it remains unchanged, the genuine nature of the gold is proven. It is not always immediately apparent from the outside whether someone is a genuine believer doing work for God out of good motives or not. Some are tares among the wheat while others are doing the right things but for selfish motives. It is only when faith and works are put to the test that it will become clear. Not all of these tests will turn out as people expect. Jesus said, as I read there in Matthew 7, many will say to me in that day, right? Those who are believers will stand at the judgment seat of Christ where their labors will be tested. Those who have put their faith and trust in Christ can never lose the eternal life Christ promised. But our labor for the Lord will be tried. Everything you're doing now will be tested, tried. Much like the acid test on the gold. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 13, Every man's work shall be made manifest, but the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of, sort it is, of what sort it is. 
Only that which is done with pure motives and for the glory of God will survive the judgment. Look with me at Hebrews 10. God does not want just mere religious exercises. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1. Excuse me. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1. For the law, Hebrews 10, 1. For the law, having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered, because that the worshippers, once purged, should have had no more conscience of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of goat bulls and of goats should take away sins. Wherefore, when he cometh in the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me, and burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast had no pleasure. He's saying that the sacrifices in the Old Testament that they did, God wanted, first of all, he, which is still the command, the first and greatest commandment, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, strength, and mind. God wants every part of you. He wants the faith. It was accounted to Abraham for faith, Genesis 15. Now, as a result of that faith, you'd partake in the sacrifices, much like even Abraham would exercise of his faith in God in the offering up of Isaac on the altar. But that was an act of faith that was already existing. Now, how do you get to be employed in God's service today? We learn from John chapter 3, as Jesus spoke to Nicodemus, you must be born again. Right? That which is born of the flesh is flesh. If you want to do something of spiritual significance in your employment for God, you've got to be spiritual. Right? That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. You've got to be born again. You must accept Jesus Christ, His death, burial, and resurrection for the forgiveness of all your sins, and in simple by faith, John 3.16 tells us. It's faith. John chapter 20, 30 and 31 and Uh, It tells us, verse 31, But these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. It takes faith. Now, in all of the good works, so I've accepted Christ by faith. I'm working for God. I want to serve him. I don't know what to do. I know I'm supposed to feed my family. I know I'm supposed to go to work, work hard uh, for God. But what do I do as a Christian? What is it that God wants me to do uh, as a Christian? Matthew 5, 16. We're going to look at a few passages of Scripture here. and I, I, I know it might seem maybe simple to you uh, if you've been around the church for a while, but just getting this idea of who am I working for? What are my responsibilities before the Lord? I'm just kind of building a foundation and a framework working up here uh, from the knowns and then continuing to work forward. Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. Let your light so shine before men, why? That they may see your good works. Okay? And glorify your Father which is in heaven. So as I'm working hard for God in my secular workplace, my public sector, wherever that may be, they see me working 
with the attitude and the temperament and the fruit of the Spirit. And God gets the glory. As I'm working here in this church and in the community, as God allows me to, it is not to bring any exaltation of myself. It is all that my works would continue to point people to the glory of God. It's not about building a man. It's about building a focus on God the Father. In Hebrews chapter 12, verses 28 and 29, Wherefore we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. Serve God acceptably. So as I go to work, as I go to the grocery store, as I do all that I need to do in my daily exercises, I am to work in a way that is acceptable to God. You see how this kind of changes our mindset of who am I working for? Because maybe you're doing a menial task or sometimes an underrated task that others in the business or in the workplace might say, well, I'm not doing that. And you'll be willing to say, I will do that because I'm not doing it for you, I'm doing it for the glory of God. Look with me at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. I'm definitely not going to be able to finish this this evening. I'm only on page 7 of 18, so we're, we're working there on this. I just wanted to kind of take us through the process of what God expects of us with respect to work. Because, ultimately, at the end of the day, what I do for work now, I'm going to have to give an answer to in eternity. I'm going to have to stand. If you're a believer, you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Not that you're losing salvation, but you're going to have to give an answer for what labors you're doing right now for God. Now, if you don't know Christ, you'll be at the great white throne judgment uh, that's found there, I believe, in Revelation chapter 20. But here, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, it says that in the dispensation, uh, chapter 2, not chapter 1, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto what? Good works. Which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So I have been called when I'm saved and I accept Jesus Christ. I'm doing it because God gave me a purpose. I'm his workmanship. He's made me his child as I accepted the gift of Jesus by faith. He created me for good works. Your good works far exceed just the labors within the confines of the church. It transcends to every area of your life. How you work to care for your family, both at work, at home, how you lead in your family or guide where, you know, wherever you're at in your home. Society. 
Our purpose is good works. That is labor. The question is, is where do I fit into God's work plan? Does, do I serve God by providing for my family? Yes. Do I serve God by having a personal relationship and worshiping at home and my meditative time in His Word? Yes. Do I serve God by my secular work and working as unto the Lord? Yes. Do I serve God by giving out the gospel of Jesus Christ? Yes. Is this all I'm responsible for? No. It's not all we're responsible for. In 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, look with me here. The Bible tells us there is more we are to do. I will not be able to finish this this evening. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Why? That the man of God may be perfect. That's a term that means mature. Thoroughly furnished unto all good works. What are all the good works that I am to accomplish as a believer in Jesus Christ? What did Christ require or what step was often undertaken by those whom Christ or His apostles would heal and Christ rescued from sin's grip? We would know in Ephesians chapter 5, Be therefore followers of God as dear children. Tell us to walk in love. In Luke chapter 8, Jesus heals a person. He says, Return to thine own house and show how great things God hath done unto thee. He went his way and published throughout the whole city how great things Jesus had done in him. The maniac of Gadara wanted to follow Jesus. And again, he says, go home to thy friends and tell, how great, tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee. And I thought compassionately, he says, listen, tell the story. Well, pastor, isn't that just telling the gospel? It is. That's a portion of it. But we... Here in in, in Acts gives us, and going forward, there was Acts chapter 9. There's a woman named Tabitha who was, uh, this woman was full of good works and alms deeds, which she did. That's in Acts chapter 9. Now, are good works required of just those with the energy, right? The middle-aged people, the young people. You know, when we get older and our energy levels decline, am I to work for God? The Bible tells us in Titus 2, 2, that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, and charity in patience. So there's a temperament, there's a labor of the aged men, older. It says in Titus 2, 6-8, young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded in all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works. Matthew 19, Jesus would said, but Jesus said, suffer little children, forbid them not to come unto me. He says, listen, I still want the children coming unto me. Look with me. Uh, as uh, Titus chapter, we, we looked at Titus, but let's we look at 2 and 3. Titus chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. It doesn't matter whether you're older. It doesn't matter whether you're younger. It doesn't matter whether you're physically capable or physically less capable. You still have work to do for the Lord. God still has a purpose, a workmanship of for your life. In Titus chapter 2, verse 2, 
that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, and charity and patient, the aged women likewise, that they be in behavior, as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much uh, wine, uh, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children. And, and the verse goes on. Verse 6, young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded. So he talks to all ages. He talks to mothers, Ephesians 6, and ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. Bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So mothers, fathers, older, younger, you have work to do in God's economy. And our works are not just of what we've done in the past. There's some churches that I've been a part of and there's some older people in the church, and they're in their retirement years. And not only are they retired from secular, public work, they seem to be retired from ministry work. I've done my time. But that is not in God's economy. Now I understand there's physical limitations on what you can do. But I am not saying that we Again, when life was perfect on earth at the beginning of creation, there was work. When sin came, there was work. When Jesus re- died on the cross and rose again, he sent his disciples, there was work. Here in New Testament churches, there is work to do. We cannot come away with the common Western culture idea when I get to a particular age, I will retire, I will retire secularly, and I will retire in the ministry. Look with me at Titus 3.8. I'm going to have to draw this to a close. I'll have to pick it back up, Lord willing, on, on New Year's Day in the evening. Titus chapter 3, verse 8. This is a faithful saying. These things I will that thou affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful to what? Maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. In God's economy and in God's plans, there is no retirement. The Bible would let us know that retirement, really, in the Western concept, is a construct of one who is perishing, but not of one who is thriving for Christ. Now, what I mean by retirement is a life of personal comfort, relegating God's work to the younger generation. We do not find that in the Bible. Now, you might be financially secure enough to retire from the public sector. But it doesn't mean you need to retire from your work for God. I'd like you to look with me at Luke chapter 12, verse 19. And then we'll come back to Titus 3, 14, and I will close this out tonight. Luke chapter 12, verse 19. Chapter 12, verse 19. Actually, let's look at uh, verse uh, 17 of Luke chapter 12. 
And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? In this idea of retirement in, from a secular perspective, we sit back, they ease, drink, and be merry. We say, God, I've done my work. I'm done. But my friend, the Bible tells us, as we looked in Titus 3.14, let us also learn to maintain good works. God does not give us an age to quit. God does not give us an age to stop letting Him be the focus, the intent for all that I do. He says, maintain good works for necessary uses that they be not unfruitful. My friend, we must cast off Western thinking that says that I can retire and just sit back and let everyone else do their work. You may not be secular employment. That's great if you have financial ability to do such. But you ought not to disengage and become unemployed from the service for God. God has a plan for your life. And I'm going to explain that next time of how do I engage in the employment for God? What do you do after salvation? When we, we've gone through the essentials. What do you do as a, as a family? Uh, young or old, you're to be employed. I've dealt with, <clears throat> you know, you provide food and you provide work and, and you all do all of this stuff, but what do I do after this? What does God expect of me? You must choose, first of all, to whom you're working for. Are you working to to be rich towards God or rich for yourself. And so as we come to the time of invitation tonight, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you know for sure you're on your way to heaven. You've received Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. And you say, you know what, Pastor? Uh, maybe God's working on your heart this evening. I would encourage you, uh, in whatever capacity, whatever stage of life you're at, I'm not, again, I'm not against secular retirement, but I am against spiritual retirement we've got to get god's mindset of to whom and how i use my time that i would be pleasing to the lord i would have his blessings and be fruitful in my life i don't want to be unfruitful but fruitful for eternity are you rich towards god or rich for oneself only you know the answer to that and so with heads bowed and eyes closed this evening as you come to the Lord, when you're done looking and you're done praying, feel free to look up and I will conclude us in prayer this evening. But I just really want to challenge you on this idea of where are you laboring for Christ?